improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host Dr Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic. Today is going to be all about questions. We're going to do a bit on the power of questions and why questions are a really impactful communication skill that you can develop. And then we're going to go into some ideas from Jonah Berger's latest book, Magic Words, around what questions can do. And then we're going to go into some takeaways, some actual skills, some actual strategies, I should say, that you can go away and apply. Important before we do that, that we discuss the difference between a strategy and a skill. A strategy is where there's an idea of something that you can do that could potentially have an impact And a skill is where you have the ability to then deliver on that potential. So you you have the skill to be able to put the strategy into practice. It's a really important distinction because master communicators know many of the same strategies that people who are not good communicators know, but they put in the time and the reps to become really, really good at them. So I'm going to be presenting you with six of my favorite questions and if they're a new strategy for you or they're a strategy you don't feel you've turned into a high level skill I'm going to suggest in terms of turning this from just an educational or ed- edutainment sort of experience where you're learning and being hopefully mildly amused at the same time changing it from that into something that's going to have a lasting impact means you've got to sort of go through that discomfort of doing applying it putting it into practice and seeing how you go and getting feedback whether that's you know feedback from doing something in a role play or a specific practice situation or putting it into practice with people live in your practice where the feedback you get is either people not understanding it or getting a response that you're not quite sure how to follow up on And none of that's the end of the world. So I would encourage you to pick one of them to put in practice today. So I'm talking about the skill of asking questions and uh, segueing off that into the importance of skills. I have a retention skills workshop, which I think is one of the most powerful immersive workshops I teach, where it's a whole day working on a handful, six in fact, skills that if you master them you will massively increase your confidence certainty and impact in communicating the value of chiropractic in your practice so not heaps of strategies lots of space to develop skills i will be presenting it on the 9th of june uh, in edinburgh it's connected to the edinburgh lectures which will be on the following day the 10th Uh, It's all in Edinburgh. The link is in the show notes. Amazing lineup of speakers who will also be there. I'll be speaking. Brad Kowacki will be speaking. Bismay Schoenfelder, Nona Javad, uh, Amanda Apfelblatt, Aaron Morris, Skip Weiss, Melissa Sanford and Bettina Tornatora. So really powerful lineup. It's a phenomenal event. I hope to see you there. A couple of other announcements. Uh, Bismay and I did our Grow Your Tribe workshop here in Melbourne last month and been getting really phenomenal feedback from it. There's a real synergy uh, in the approaches that we teach where 
we're looking at strategies to grow your tribe or increase your retention and uh, there's a real complementary nature to it. We just, this is a save the date, I guess, are planning on develop, delivering it in Queensland, probably Brisbane or Gold Coast on the 26th of August. We don't have a venue yet, but this is more a save the date. We will, I will announce it here as soon as we have the details in place. So questions. I was prompted to come back to this after finishing um, Jonah Berger's book, Magic Words. So Magic Words, really interesting book, probably not the best communication book that I've read, largely because I think a lot of the ideas are ideas that I've read elsewhere. Having said that, Jonah Berger writes really well, uh, and I think it was a worthwhile read. One of the core ideas in it, in fact, he has a whole chapter on it, is that one of the key communication skills, one of the, the magic groups of words are using questions. And there's a couple of really important ideas that he has in there, some of which apply to us, some of which don't. One of the ideas is this idea that questions are a way of fast tracking a relationship. So having curiosity about somebody else and then the process of sharing, reciprocally sharing information is the fastest way of growing a deep relationship. Now, he discusses it in depth and the depth that he discusses it in is probably superfluous to our needs because he's really talking about it in terms of growing a deep personal relationship, either a deep romantic relationship or a deep friendship relationship. And I think for our purposes, we can sort of take that principle of um, using questions to grow a relationship and then apply it in our context. So the key distinction that I want to draw to that uh, he focuses on in this is that in terms of the using questions to grow a relationship, what we want to do is start at a very shallow level and then grow deeper questions. And so for us, there are super powerful questions that I'm going to be asking you um, but it's often useful to start with really simple questions like asking people um, what something is stopping them from doing that they'd like to get back to is a really simple question, but then we can layer in deeper questions after that. But start with the simple superficial ones so that people don't feel like you're being too intrusive and then develop from there. So. If we look at the idea of why do master communicators ask better questions? What is the power of uh, better questions? So there's a really there's a couple of core ideas specifically for us as chiropractors, and I've spoken about this a number of times on the podcast, but if we are wanting to help people see their health in a different way, if we're wanting to help connect people to a potentially revolutionary idea that proactively looking after your body helps you do all the things that you need to do, all the things that you love to do, all the things that make you, you, you. If, you, if you're able to do all of those things better by proactively looking after your body, that's an idea that the majority of our community don't have. Most people look after their body at a very low level when it gives them pain or symptoms. Um, so we've got this revolutionary idea and we talk and about different levels of health belief that there are people who view their health at a pain level or a problem level where if they don't have a pain or problem, they don't their, their health is good and they don't need to do anything about it. 
then people who are at a level above that, a prevention level, where they recognize that you can have imbalances or problems and not necessarily have symptoms. Uh, and then the highest level, the people that we're aiming to both recruit or help people see the value of this perspective are at a performance level where they recognize that truth, that how their body works impacts everything that they do. So if we want to be communicating to people about that different levels of health belief that they don't already believe, we need to be aware that if we make them wrong, they're going to block or ignore our message. So that then leads to this idea that we've spoken about, that there's a hierarchy of influence, that when we tell people stuff, if it doesn't already align with their existing beliefs, they're likely to block it or filter it. The highest level are things that they experience and then realize the limitations of their existing belief. But in between are strategies where people think things or think things and say them out loud. And this is where questions come in. Now, the power of people, you asking a question and then somebody having to think about it and then respond to the question is that then if there is a connection that they get to see things in a higher level of health awareness, the thought, the connection, the idea is coming from them. So they're not likely to perceive it as making them wrong. They're also likely to not block and filter it because the ideas come from them. Um, so we, as Jonah Berger talks about, questions build relationships. We get to know people better. Once we've shared something that's personal to us, we feel a natural affinity to them. Really importantly, questions also dictate what people focus on. So for instance, if you have people who are focusing just on the pain and you ask a question that asks them to, to focus on what it's stopping them from doing, or if somebody's partway through care and they keep focusing on the pain, you can change what they focus on by asking them how they're moving or what have they noticed that's improved so far. Um, it's a it's a way of dictating what they're focusing on. And as we know, what people focus on drives their perception and perception drives our reality. Um, a really interesting extra thing about it is that when we ask a question, it dictates what people see as important. So um, when we're looking at that scenario of somebody coming in and they've had this whole experience of their body and it not working, the things that we focus on, the things that they, we question them on, they will naturally then see them as important. And so shifting from just asking questions about pain to asking questions about function, i.e. how is this impacting your ability to do things, has a dual impact. It helps them see the function as more important and it helps that it helps us understand what functions are important in their life, i.e. get a sense of their lifestyle values. There's also a series of things that questions do that I would describe as meta-communication. They're almost about the process of communication in that when we ask questions, we are in embedding certain ideas in the interaction, meaning we're communicating that this is about them and their thoughts and values, etc. And we know that when people interact with a care provider and their priorities, their values, their expectations are prioritized, that this massively increases people's satisfaction, 
with that. They're sets of connection to you. And it's also a core idea around um, patient-centered or client-centered practice or person-centered practice that it needs to be about them, their thoughts and values. Um, it's also coincidentally a part of evidence-based practice, which is the, that three-legged stool of best available evidence, your clinical experience, and the, the patient, client, or person's um, values and expectations. So when we ask questions, we essentially communicate a whole lot of other things that are about what the process is about, if that's not too meta. Um, also, when we ask questions, we communicate confidence. People who are not confident in an area typically don't want to ask questions because it, they worry that their lack of confidence is going to be exposed. So asking questions has this Im embedded message of saying, look, I'm confident in this environment, confident enough that I can ask you any question and then be okay with whatever you answer that. So that's the idea in the, I guess, the communication science, the uh, influence literature science behind why questions are so important. Let's go into the actual strategy piece and we'll talk about what my favorite questions are. I've referenced the first one, what's it stopping you from doing a bunch of times? It's a question that I would ask anytime somebody is presenting to me with any sort of symptomatic problem because it helps us uh, do a couple of things. First of all, it helps unpack their perception of the problem as in people are generally minimizing a problem they're not they as a coping mechanism they are generally minimizing the uh, the size of the problem going look it's not so bad um, but when we get them to focus on the actual true size of the problem i.e the impact that it's having on important things in their life by asking the limitations question, it helps them reconnect with the actual true size of the problem. And so when we are then uh, doing a clinical assessment of the size of their physiological problem, it's more likely that the two are gonna be lined up and they'll see that they need the level of care that they need. Whereas if they're minimizing the size of the problem, it's much more likely that they'll see it, oh no, that's not that big a deal. Another question that I love to ask with people who have had problems for a long period of time is, hey, so I'm curious, you've had this going on for five years and haven't really you know, chosen to do anything about it. Why now? Because that'll often be another way of getting a sense of well, what's different, what's coming up, what's their, not, what, not potentially what's it stopping them from doing now, but sometimes it's, uh, well, now, because I was getting concerned that, you know, I'm almost 50 and I don't want to be getting old and losing my ability to do things. Or, uh, well, now, because we're planning on having kids next year and I don't want to be, I'm concerned that things will get worse with the extra load on my body. Or, well, look, I'd like to run a marathon and I don't think I'll be able, my body will be able to take it if I've got this ongoing issue. And so why now can be another way of um, helping us understand what's really going to motivate people to follow through with care to get their problem solved. Um, another question that I love is what would you like to do? So we've spoken previously about there's a kind of a tension when we're giving recommendations where um, we want to give people a very clear path forward of the best approach to get them 
to what's important to them, whether that's a pain prevention or performance goal, um, we want to give our best recommendations. And we also need to be, I guess, putting the best case forward for that in terms of why we think that that would be a valuable thing for them. The tension comes in though, where if we overstep the mark and the person perceives that we are trying to push them to do something that should be their decision to make, then we run the risk of evoking what in the psychology literature they call reactance. And reactance is where the person pushes back and says, no, I don't want to do this because that feels shit to have somebody tell me, uh, to sort of pushing me into doing something. So even if they can see the logic of it, they'll choose not to do it because they don't like that feeling of being pushed. So the antidote to that is to use what are called autonomy statements. The it's up to you, whatever you want to do. But we want to then have people not with this open you, these are your options, you do whatever you want to do, but it's not clear. We want people to actually make that commitment. So what would you like to do is the way of treading that line and saying the decision is yours and I need you to make a decision. So let's let's move forward having made a commitment at some level to what uh, people, to what we're going to do moving forward. Uh, there's another area where there's a real balance where from a, a legal perspective here in Australia and in many other jurisdictions, we it's a requirement that we get subjective feedback from people. There's also uh, an expectation with consumers that they, if they've got stuff going on in their body that they're concerned about, they want to be able to tell us. There's a danger though in if every time you, somebody comes into your practice you say how's your pain, how's your pain, is the pain any better or worse, is the, that type of pain oriented question that if we go back to the, what questions do they dictate what somebody focuses on and they dictate what people see as important. There's a danger that we are reinforcing a set of beliefs that are aligned with a pain level of health awareness. And so the approach that chiropractors have often used is the approach of not asking people anything that, you know, this don't tell me about your pain. We'll talk about that at a progress assessment or that's not my job. My job is to correct subluxations, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's some real challenges with that approach in terms of both how people perceive that, but also in many environments, whether that is going to pass your board's purview. So the balance, the question that I love is the question that I will start pretty much every visit with, with what's new or different. And the reason I love this is that in a report we'll explain, you know, things may, you might have times where you feel sore, you might have times where you feel better. A lot of people notice that as their nervous system improves that a whole lot of other things um, happen and we can lifestyle link that. People like you who golf not, often notice that they're swing gets better, those type of things. But um, what's new or different then is an environment that communicates a, first of all, an interest in what they're experiencing, but it's framed in a way that's open to that broader spectrum. So it's aligned with beliefs that come into a prevention and even a performance level of health awareness. And so we're dictating them to focus on something different, what's new or what's different. And that can align with those high levels of health awareness. And so that's what people see as important. Uh, another question that I love is why do you think that is? So people will often come in and say things like, uh, 
I don't feel like I'm getting better as fast as I'd like, or I was really sore after the last adjustment, or uh, I feel like I'm at a bit of a plateau, or any of those questions that dictate that they've had something that is going on in their body. Um, when we I spoke recently with uh, Brad Glowacki, he made a really important distinction, and uh, the the distinction was be between whether something was an objection or something was a concern. And um, all of these things don't necessarily have to be objections. They're just it, they're talking about something that they're concerned about. And so I often want to, I think it's useful to know what they think's going on because that could range, in, range from a spectrum of them thinking, oh no, I think it's, yeah, it's fine. It's, I knew it was going to take some time. I know I'm on the right path. I was just telling you what I was feeling. Or it could be something that's verging on an objection. I'm going to stop care if this doesn't change right away. But getting their perspective is a super powerful way of, first of all, knowing what they're thinking so that I can target my communication to address that. But also it helps them if they haven't formed a thought around why they think it is, it helps them think what it might be. And that's a really powerful thing because they're going to go looking for questions, the answers to the question, and then be both more open to what you say because you've opened up a knowledge gap, or they're going to go looking at it from the sense of, well, what would Martin think might be happening in this situation? And so they'll trawl back through the previous discussions that you've had. One of my favorite questions is that helps people go from that immediate focus on reactive, i.e., I need this pain or this problem to go to the more proactive levels of health awareness, prevention and performance is, so I'm sort of curious, Dave, how would you like your body to be in X years? Now I'll use different timeframes for different people. So if I've got somebody who's fairly young um, and then I'll pick a fairly short time frame. I'd say, hey, Dave, you know, we're, we're getting some change with this. I'm sort of curious, like if we look at things really broadly in terms of how your body's working, how would you like your body to be in a year's time? And I leave it really open frame because I want them to think about, well, what are their goals long time, long term? If it's somebody who's older, then um, I'm going to potentially pick a, uh, if it's somebody who's in middle age, then I'm going to pick a meaningful period. So if you have somebody who's in their 30s, I'm going to say, how would you like things to be in your 40s? If they're in their 50s, you know, how would you like to be when you're in your 60s? And if they're older, then I might bring the time frame back down again, as in, you know, if somebody's in their 80s, I don't really want to, a lot of people don't think they're going to make their 90s. So I want to talk in more in shorter periods. How would you like your body to be in a year? How would you like to be in a body? How would you like your body to be in two years? Now, the power of this is that it has embedded in it a whole lot of different perspectives. First thing is, it, in, you know, when we talk about the idea of uh, they dictate focus and dictate what people see as important, it gets people to think about, well, what, how would I like my body to be? But also that the, the relationship that you have with them is one that you expect to go on for that period of time and that you have the, the ability to deliver value for them over that period of time. So, what we've done now is we've gone through a whole lot of reasons why questions and how questions make an impact in terms of our communication, both at that level of communicating and 
understanding information that's important to them, but also in terms of helping people connect ideas to help them grow their level of understanding of their body and their health. We've also spoken about how they also help the relationship with the person. And we've spoken about some six key questions. What's it stopping you from doing? Why now? What would you like? What would you like to do? What's new or different? Why do you think that is? How would you like your body to be in X years? So now it's over to you. I'd love to hear if you've got a favorite question that I haven't included in this list. I'd love to hear what that is. If you try one of these questions, I'd love to hear how you go with it. What what sort of responses do you get? How did you feel while you were doing it? Because it's really through putting these things into practice that we're going to have the impact. And that impact can be helping people live healthier, happier, more active lives helping you grow a practice of people who really get the big picture of chiropractic and helping you have more fun with people by adding value to people's lives in ways that are important to them. So thanks for listening to Under the Influence and I'll catch you again next week. If you like today's episode, then you will love the Retention Recipe 2.0. It's an online workshop that is broken into 33 lessons and has over seven hours of content which will teach you to confidently communicate the value of proactive chiropractic in the first 12 visits. So if we want to have long-term retention, if we want people to stay with us for months, years and reap the really amazing health benefits that happen with long-term chiropractic care, we need to set the foundation for that in the first 12 visits. So the approaches in the retention recipe 2.0 are based on state-of-the-art influence strategies that are effective, ethical, and they're enjoyable to use. They will help you to have more fun, less stress, and increase your retention, which means more practice growth and less always being on the hunt for new people. Check it out in the link in the show notes.